So we've all seen the reports um, of increasing childhood uh, COVID-19 infections. There was a 240% increase in pediatric cases since July. That's a lot. Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. You can see it. I mean, it's crystal clear. I think it's going to really revolutionize things. Which is a big game changer. All information discussed or provided by Jonathan Bakhtari, MD, Dr. Bakhtari, and or his affiliates and guests are for educational purposes only. The information discussed and provided is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical concern or condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of any information discussed or provided by Dr. Bakhtari or his affiliates and guests. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call 911 immediately. Hi, welcome to another episode episode of Bakhtari MD. Thanks for joining us. And today I want to kind of talk about children. I want to talk about kids and COVID vaccine. But before I do that, I want to kind of just do a catch up on some COVID things that have been going on. You know, the most recent data on the number of people in the United States that are fully vaccinated is about 185 million people who've gotten two doses. That's roughly 55, 57% of the population, somewhere in there. And the reason I bring that up is a very interesting number because I think it really speaks to the future of this pandemic because following our math that we've been using in past videos about herd immunity, there's 330 million people in the United States and if you believe 185 million are, are fully vaccinated, and if you also believe that about 100 to 125 million people already have gotten COVID naturally, if those two numbers were additive, we would everyone would have immunity. Everyone in the United States would have immunity. It's not additive, of course, in the sense that there are people that got a COVID-19 infection, and then wind up getting the vaccine. So if you take 185 and add 125 million people, you'd be at you know 300 and something million. And then if you back out a, a fudge factor for the people who got both, you know, I mean, you could make an argument that we're probably past 250 million people who have one form or of immunity or another. So if we're talking about 240, 250, 260 million people with some form of immunity and the fact that the pandemic is still going on, granted it's not like it was earlier in the year, but it's still going on, tells you that maybe you know herd immunity of 70-80% may not be enough to control the COVID-19 virus, especially the Delta variant, which is probably new information. I, I think many, many people thought, even I early in the pandemic thought that if we got to 70, 80, 90%, we would see things fall under more control than it has. I don't think that's the vaccine's fault. I think that's a testimony to the Delta variant. So that may not be panning the way we thought because by my count, we were probably at 70 to 80, if not higher percent immunity for the whole population. And we're still seeing a lot of cases. So that's just one thing I just wanted to kind of get off my chest because that is, idea, you know, it's not good news. It's not 
horrible news, but it's just something we have to digest. I think in some of our earlier videos, we talked about how the COVID-19 vaccine might eventually become part of the routine battery of vaccines that people get, may need to get for their job or occupation. And I think since we mentioned that, I know school districts have come out with mandates for uh, their teachers to get the vaccine. Employers have come out with mandates that all their employees have to get the vaccine. So healthcare workers have had that mandate. So it's pretty much what we predicted, that it would just get added to the list of vaccines. I'm not here to argue for or against those mandates. I'm just here to say it's interesting because that's exactly what we thought would happen that it would just be eventually added on to the battery of vaccines people have to get, especially healthcare workers like we're seeing, but teachers now. Well, I know some of the universities are also mandating it, but then the next shooter drop will, you know, especially after the pediatric vaccine version is potentially authorized or approved, is to see the mandate enter, you know, the public school system. Again, I'm pretty much anticipating that will happen, especially after these approvals. So just to give you a heads up, that's probably where this is going. As you know, the mRNA vaccines were approved for 12 and up some time ago, and I just want to give you a quick update on that. This is as of uh, 9-22-21. There were 13 million U.S. children under the age of 18 that had received at least one COVID-19 vaccine, representing 55% of the 12 to 17-year-old population, and 10.4 million U.S. children under the age of 18 are now fully vaccinated, representing 45% of the 12 to 17 population. So you can see that the 12 to 17 are at 45, the general population is at 55 or 56. So the children are catching up to the vaccination rate for young adults and older individuals. And I think one you know, problem that I see in vaccinating even teenagers and now this younger population that we're going to talk about is all of these require parental consent. So I think what we're going to see is, and we have been seeing, is that the same parents who have gotten the vaccination are more inclined to approve the vaccination for their teenagers and now their young kids. And the parents who have not themselves gotten vaccinated are less likely to authorize their children to get it. So it's interesting, but the impact of having these vaccines on the younger population in many ways may follow the children. And that's a bit of a quandary because you are going to have potentially unvaccinated children around unvaccinated parents and family. And those are the ones that probably really need the vaccinations. And then the ones that may need it less, although they'll be hanging around other children, but in terms of their own family, you know, children who are vaccinated and their parents are vaccinated probably have less to worry about than, than the other way around. So as we vaccinate teenagers and children, it's an interesting quandary because you almost want to vaccinate the children who whose parents aren't vaccinated. So we've all seen the reports um, of increasing childhood uh, COVID-19 infections. There was a 240% increase in pediatric cases since July. That's a lot. And what's what? what does July mean? July, of course, means really when the Delta variant 
took over as the predominant variant here in the United States. Uh, not only is a 240% increase in cases, but also hospital admissions have increased. Now, that may just be a factor that a lot of the other vulnerable people are already vaccinated, but clearly more children are getting infected and hospitalized since July. And I think that really has caused an urgency to have some of this data be sent to the FDA from the vaccine manufacturers and see if we can get it approved for that younger population. So Pfizer released this data on September 20th. This is Pfizer and BioNTech announced this positive top-line results for a pivotal trial of COVID-19 vaccine in children 5 to 11 years old. So I'm going to go over their data that they submitted to the FDA. In this phase 1, 2, and 3 clinical trial, they enrolled 4,500 children ages 6 months to 11 years of age in the United States, Finland, Poland, and Spain from more than 90 clinical trial sites. The purpose of this study was to evaluate safety, tolerability, immunogenicity of the two-dose Pfizer scheduled 21 days apart in three different age groups, age 5 to 11, ages 2 to 5, and 6 months to two years. And they actually used a different dose than they were giving adults. Children 5 to 11 received two doses of 10 micrograms, while children under 5 received three micrograms. And what was also interesting about this study is they took children who had COVID and didn't have COVID. So they included both. So these weren't just children that didn't have COVID. And again, this trial was there to measure safety and efficacy in terms of producing antibody titers, but not necessarily measuring whether these children got COVID or not. So unlike the adults where the endpoint was to find out, you know, if you got this vaccine, did you actually catch COVID versus the people who didn't? Here, they just wanted to see, did you get a robust antibody response? Okay. And did you tolerate it? Was it safe? but they didn't look at whether the children got COVID or not, probably for multiple reasons, but probably uh, the number of children enrolled and the low rate of children infection would have made that a statistical uh, challenge to prove vaccine efficacy as in terms of catching COVID as an endpoint. In summarizing the phase two, three study, they enrolled children six months to 11 years old, total 2,268 participants, ages five to 11, and they received 10 micrograms, two doses, three weeks apart. And they looked at SARS-CoV-2 neutralizing antibody geometric mean titer. That means the average titer, the average antibody response. And for that group, it was 1,197.6, which demonstrated a strong immune response. This was measured one month after the second dose. Now, the control group for this was to compare this to 16 to 25-year-olds with exact same interval and waiting a month. And that number came out to 1,146. So 1,197 to 1,146. So based on that, they decided that the COVID-19 was well-tolerated and the side effect profile was similar to the 16 to 25-year-old group, and the geometric mean titer response was essentially 
equivalent. What do we make of it? Obviously, it's good news that the children got a good titer response, the good antibody response. That's good news. And we can extrapolate that from the teenagers and the older adults that getting a good titer response at a lower dose, a third of the dose, is good. Um, does it prove vaccine efficacy in terms of catching the disease? No, but I think we are taking a leap of faith that the physiology of 5 to 12-year-olds is not that much different than the physiology of 12 to 15-year-olds. So assuming it's not, which I think we can probably assume that, then we can assume that this will offer children in that age group relatively good uh, vaccine efficacy in terms of catching COVID. At least that would be the hope. What are the benefits to children who would potentially get this vaccine ages, let's say, 5 through 11? Well, obviously, I think that age group, while they don't get COVID-19 infections, symptomatic infections at a high rate, they are still at risk. The risk is not zero. So obviously, protecting that group is important. But beyond that, I think there are indirect advantages in terms of children not being able to infect adults and getting us closer to herd immunity so the virus has less and less hosts that it can reside in. And that's the concept of herd immunity. So I think in terms of getting the children to, you know, the small percentage of them that would get sick and die, protecting them, as well as contributing to the overall herd immunity of the population, just having less houses where the virus can live would move in the direction of trying to get near herd immunity in a way that would significantly impact the number of cases in the United States. And I think, you know, the other thing that is interesting in children is children, especially in this age group of 5 to 11, really struggle with using what other adults can can do in terms of mitigating their risk. I think children 5 to 11 are notoriously bad at complying with social distancing. I think they're notoriously bad at mask wearing, especially keeping a tight seal, not having their nose exposed. All you need to do is go to your local playground and see if there are children with masks, what that looks like. It's usually not ideal. So I think Protecting these children, in a sense, because they can't really understand social distancing, not many five- or six-year-olds understand that really well, I think would go a long way to helping them protect them in many ways. They can't protect themselves like older children and, and uh, adults can. And then, you know, the other side benefit, you know, I know uh, a lot of teachers are concerned about, you know, having unvaccinated children around them and their concerns for their own health. And I think to the extent that if a significant portion of the pediatric population gets vaccinated, that might address some teacher anxieties. I know teacher unions are concerned about the teacher's health, justifiably so. And so to the extent that it can help the teachers with their concerns, especially older teachers, vulnerable teachers, who are worried about breakthrough cases with the Delta variant, this may significantly change some of that. I think also for 
parents who are concerned that their children may infect them, especially if they haven't gotten their booster and they're worried about breakthrough cases. So um, I think there are a lot of people anxiously waiting for the vaccine to be approved in that age group. As a side note, Pfizer mentioned uh, probably end of Q4, we should get some of the other data and possibly approval for the below five two to five and then six months to two years. So that should be coming out in uh, probably later Q4. We're always talking about the COVID-19 vaccine, but uh, right now, you know, we're starting October. So I just have to mention, this is now going to be the start, the height of the flu season. So I know we're all very concerned about the COVID-19 vaccine and boosters and what have you, but just remember the flu, you know, kills 20 to 50,000 people in the U.S., thereabouts. Every year we have a regular uh, quadrivalent vaccine. We have a high-dose vaccine for people at risk. It's really, really important that we not let that be forgotten. I know last year the flu was not that big, but that's because we had a lot of people hunker down and not mingling. I think as some of those things are changing and people are socializing more, going back to work, going back to parties or doing whatever that involves seeing other people, that the flu will be an issue. Uh, And I strongly, strongly recommend that people also get the flu vaccine. Good news, from what I'm reading, uh, maybe by next flu season, we should, may have the combined flu COVID-19 vaccine that's off in the horizon. That would obviously make things easier if the COVID vaccine becomes seasonal, especially if more variants show up. We'll we'll wait and see if that happens. So really a a strong encouragement to not let the flu shot get lost while everybody's worrying about whether they should get a booster or not. Thank you for listening. You can check out my website, jonathanbakhtariemd.com, to sign up for my newsletter. And you can watch this full episode over on my YouTube channel, BakhtariMD, where you can leave questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes. And as always, I'll see you next week on another episode of BakhtariMD. Take care and be well. <music>